0: Hi, welcome to the Grace Life Podcast. In churches, the Bible is taught as truth and as a guide for life. Matter of fact, much of the time, this Word of God is revered as flawless and perfect. But we may ask ourselves, how can that be true? Given what we've learned and discovered about this world, questions come to mind like, hasn't the Bible been refuted by science? Is the Bible supported by anything in history? And how can it be God's Word if sinful men wrote it? As believers, we must be able to trust God's Word, if that's what it is. This series is about answering the tough questions, so that we can find out, is it possible to have faith in God without checking our brains at the door?
1: All right, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? So good to see you, so glad to have you worshiping with us wherever you are, especially if you're a guest, so glad to have you worshiping with us. Before we get into the message, today is a special day for those of you that are, uh, have been around Grace Life for a period of time, you know what we're, we're doing today with these cards on your chair. If you're new to Grace Life, I want you to know that twice a year we do a week of prayer and fasting. And uh, first of all, if this is a new concept to you and you're just wanting you have some questions, either practical questions or spiritual questions, why do we do it? How do we do it? I want to point you to our website or our app. We've got a whole page uh, there with resources, with some Q&A that we've done, uh, as well as some messages that I've done preaching about this that'll help you understand that. So I'm going to go ahead and point you there if you want to have some of those questions. But right now, I just want to take a quick moment and, and once again, give you a little bit of vision for why we do this. Uh, there's a story in the Bible where someone came to Jesus for healing that actually asked his disciples to do it. The disciples prayed that they, they couldn't cast the demon out and heal the boy, and so the, the father brings the boy to Jesus. And, and his response was, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long am I gonna have to be with you? And, and then he said, look, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. Now let's back up to what he said. Faithless and perverse generation. You know what that means? Faithless, far from God, perverse, close to the world. And so then he says, to deal with this, we need prayer and fasting. So here's what we do twice a year, once in January, once in August. We've just figured out with our American way of life, it's two really good reset times for our souls. And so what we want to do with prayer and fasting is get closer to God and further from the world. And so that's whatever that means, if that's food or Facebook or TV, however, you need to kind of set some things aside. But then also, we're going to take this week— And we're going to get closer to God. We're going to have a prayer time here every morning, Monday through Saturday. You can check our app for those times. We've adjusted them a little later for uh, our COVID habits of sleeping in, staying at home and not driving anywhere to work. So they're a little bit later this week than we normally do. Uh, And so you can check those out online. They will also be uh, streamed live online in case you can't get here to the building in the mornings. Uh, But before you leave today, I want you to know this card that's on your chair. I want you to take a moment. Do this anonymously, but uh, I want you to think, if you could sit down with God and say, I, I need this one thing, I, I need, it. maybe it's healing, maybe it's my marriage, maybe it's something in my soul, maybe it's just, I just wanna be closer to you, whatever it is, if you could sit down with God and he'd say, look, I'm gonna do one thing for you, what is it? What is the number one thing on your heart and your life? Write this on this card, because we're gonna be praying with you every single morning, Uh, as we come together, as well as if you're watching online, we've got an online version of this, you can fill it out. So, all right, with that being said, we are going to wrap up our Bible series today. Uh, We have a special guest with us. Uh, His name is Michael Fletcher. He's the senior pastor of Manna Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, But more importantly than that, he's just one of my greatest friends. He's my mentor, he's my pastor. So uh, you can either love him or blame him, depending on how you feel about me. I'm gonna let you decide for yourself. But if you would help me welcome to the stage, Michael Fletcher, everybody.
2: Thank you very much. Um, I take it by that clap. It was kind of mediocre. They don't think you're done yet. So just playing. I first met Jimmy back in 1912. Um, Actually, we we had a ministry in Romania and we were taking a bunch of college students over and he was at Appalachian State University and I met him then. He was so rough cut and crazy and look at him today. I mean, Jimmy's one of the great leaders and I know a lot of great leaders and I'm not just saying this, Jimmy's a great leader. Look what Ramona and you and the Holy Spirit have done. God's given you a great pastor. Let's give it up for Pastor Jimmy, if you will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we just want you to know, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. The people of God had drifted from God. They wandered from a pure devotion to their God, Jehovah, the one who delivered them from bondage in Egypt, the one who sent 10 judgments on the greatest empire of the era, the one who parted the Red Sea, the one who drove out their enemies by the miracle power of his outstretched hand, the one who from all the nations of the earth had taken them and made made them his own covenant people. He was a father to them, but they became wayward sons and daughters. He was a husband to her, but she became a wanton adulteress. They drifted, then they wandered, then they abandoned. Sadly, that's been the story of the people of God all throughout the Old Testament. They worshiped other gods and committed spiritual adultery with them, gods that they thought could make their lives better, gods that they thought would make their lives easier, gods that they wanted to have for themselves. The problem is God made it pretty clear in the law how he expected them to live. God made it pretty clear in the law what was right, and what was wrong and what he expected of them. And so the truth is to get around that, God making himself very clear, you only have two options. Number one, you can ignore the word, but that's simply intellectually dishonest because you know you're fooling yourself. You know what is right, you know what is wrong, you're just pretending that you don't. And so ignoring the word has negative, tremendously negative consequences. Take, for instance, Hosea chapter four, verse six. My people are destroyed for, because of lack of knowledge. Because they have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you as my priest. But watch this, and this is frightening. Because you've ignored the law of the Lord your God, I will also ignore your children. So the reality is that ignoring a double negative on purpose for all you English people, okay? Say, so that's a double negative, you can't do that. I know it, I'm doing it on purpose. The reality is ignoring it doesn't make it not true. The second thing you you could do is you could change the word. Now the problem is you can't, if you didn't write it, you can't change it. But God wrote it and if he really is the word of God, then it's above you and you're accountable to it. But if God didn't write it and it's really just another book, then you can just walk on it because it really doesn't matter. The Jews, they wandered and they drifted And they tried to ignore the word all throughout their history with obvious results. But the church, oh, she was far smarter. The church positioned herself over the word and made herself the supreme authority and gave the power over the word to the priest. They were the only ones, the priest, who had the right to interpret the word, to determine what it means. So the church had the highest authority. The sad result was that This move put the power in the hands of men, men who claimed to be infallible because they had the right to interpret, and only they had the right to interpret the Word of God. It was a genius move. It was a genius move because they didn't actually dethrone the Word of God. Instead, as if it weren't the Word of God, instead, they set up another throne higher than the Word of God, and they sat the church upon it, and when they did, the Bible Became accountable to them. It wasn't always this way. In the early church, there was a powerful, pure, passionate zeal for God. And by the three hundreds, the entire Roman Empire officially embraced the religion that they once persecuted as their own religion. They accepted Christianity, and the church continued to grow and define itself until about this six hundred A.D. Somewhere in there. And then, as the Dark Ages said, and almost prophetically, darkness became to, began to creep into the church. That's when the leaders of the church lost, they traded in, actually, their, their passion for the word for power. And when they did this, the leaders began to see themselves as much as the church, as much as a, as a political entity as it was a spiritual one. The clarity of the pure and simple gospel had been lost. They traded salvation by grace through faith for salvation by faith through works. And the church, not the Bible, became the supreme authority and the voice of God on the earth. But some leaders began to object and call the church back to a theological and practical purity that they once seen in the younger days. And they paid dearly, often with their lives. Peter Waldo, Jan Hus, and John Wycliffe, to name a few. But a Reformation began, actually called the Protestant Reformation, and it began on October 31st, 1517, when a priest and professor of moral theology at the University of Wittenberg, named, you've probably heard of him, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses, 95 theological propositions to the chapel at at, at, uh, Wittenberg, the chapel door at Wittenberg, and thus began the Protestant Reformation. Grace Life Church, Manna Church, and every Baptist Church, every Presbyterian Church, every Pentecostal Church, every Methodist Church, and millions and millions of churches all around the globe owe their existence to the Protestant Reformation. That we had eight kids, and we have 24 and a half grandkids. You think that's a joke, that's for real, It's for real. I say 24 and a half because one's still in the oven. Um, and she, Naomi, will be born, um, I forget when, but soon. You have 25, dude. You're good enough. Just to remember their names, okay? So, but we homeschooled all these kids, not the grandkids, just our kids. And so Laura taught some, some church history and all that to them. And we had a, a, our third son was just he just loved to be around. So he was really too young to be in school, but he was around coloring. And you never really know is he paying attention? Is he here? Is he there? He's just a little guy, you know. And his two brothers are being schooled. So Laura gave him a quick review and said, "What happened?" on October 31st, 1517. And all of a sudden, little Jovis, we call him Jovis, um, little Joseph, his hand shot up. And intrigued by that, Laura looked at him and said, okay, Joseph, what happened on October 31st, 1517? And he said, Martin Luther nailed 95 feces (laughs) to the Wittenberg door. So Laura, Laura called me on the phone. She right away. She said, you won't believe what little Joe said. He said, Martin Luther nailed 95 feces to the Wittenberg door. And I responded and said, that for sure will get you in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's going to get you in trouble. So let me ask you a question. Do you own one or more of these? You can talk in church. Yes, you do. Do you know what you have there? Years and years ago, both of these friends are now in heaven. They were married together in and um, lived, in, lived in Fayetteville, and were in our local church, Chaz and Ann Holder, went to a junk, to a junk store just kind of looking around, and you know, a thrift store is kind of a junk slash thrift store, and they saw these two pieces of art, and the dealer made a deal with them, and they bought both for a little bit less than $30, and they left, they left that junk thrift store really, really excited because they went straight to an appraiser, had both pieces of art appraised, and they both appraised individually for just under $12,000. A piece. The dealer didn't know what he had. See, millions of people have been changed by this book. Untold millions of people have been healed by this book. Body, soul, and spirit. Countless others have died for this book. And while we sit here today with this book in our lap or this book by way of our smartphone in our hand, countless people actually Millions of people in small groups, enclosed in and limited access countries all around the globe are huddled around one page because that's all they have. See, they know the value of this book. So far in this series, we've looked at the scripture through the lens of science and archeology, span and you've learned that with intellectual honesty. You can believe the Bible is true, but today I want you to see it as the highest authority Sadly, studies, especially in the West, where we have tons of these, studies show that most believers do not really read the Scripture. We're we're actually in a famine, much like like the famine we find in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. See, everything you need, believe it or not, everything you need for life is in this book. How to find a husband or a wife is in this book. How to have a happy family. How to train your children. How to honor and revere and give honor to your parents. How to find forgiveness. How to get rid of guilt. How to know the Lord. How to start a business. How to run a business. How to run a city. How to run a nation. How to get out of debt. How to get a raise. How to become a good boss. How to become a great employee. How to be healed from damaged emotions and a broken past. And it goes on and on and on. All of that and more is found inside this book. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Where do we find it? Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Could you take me a little bit deeper, Peter? Yes, I'd be glad to. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises found right here. So that through them, watch this, you may participate in the divine nature. Does that mean you become God? No, but it means you can live life like God would if he were in your situation. And not only that, not only that, we can escape the corruption that's in the world caused by evil desires. How? Because it's in this book. The pathway is in this book. The key is when you believe, then you receive. So you all ready to do a little bit of Bible study? Y'all might as well say yes, because you're there and I'm here and I'm gonna do it anyway, it's unless you get it and walk out. And then I'll call you by name and ask you to sit. I'm, t- I'm kidding. The Word of God is powerful. Let's take a look at that. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was actually called the Word of God. If that doesn't elevate its importance, I don't know what else. But verse after verse in the scripture underscores how powerful The word of God is. Take Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. Could you just pause a moment and let that sink in? Living and active. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intentions, the the attitudes of the heart. See, it's living. This is impossible to really explain. This is not like Tolstoy. This is not like Mark Twain. This is not like John Grisham. This is not just another book with leather and print and paper and different color ink in the inside. This this thing is living and it's active. And when it gets inside of you, it can transform you from the inside out. No other book can make that claim. It is actually a living thing. It's operating in your emotions. It's operating in your soul. It's operating in your family. Whatever you invite it into, it will change it from the inside out. Luke chapter 21 verse 33 Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. Y'all ever been to a museum? I tell you I got my wife here Laura and 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 she loves museums and I do not. Anybody else here love museums? So I've been in some really cool museums in some really cool parts of the world. And I've seen some stuff. I've seen some old stuff. We saw some Egyptian stuff that is way over 3,000 years old in a museum in England. Unlike museums in America, if if it's 100 years old in America, we put plastic around it and forbid flash photography. You know what I'm talking about? But there in England, you could walk up and touch it. Don't do it, but you could walk up and touch it. It's truly, really some amazing old stuff. But nothing is like the Bible. That stuff had a beginning. That stuff's going to have it in. But what does it say here? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. We're not talking about the leather. We're not talking about the paper, but we're talking about what's contained inside of this. It is everlasting. You're actually holding eternity in your hands. You can go to any, 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 any museum in the world and pull out your smartphone, open up to the to the you version and say, I got something here older than all of that. It's eternal. You're literally holding eternity in your hands. Psalm 107 verse 20, he sent forth his word and healed them and rescued them from the grave. As I said a moment ago, the word of God heals body, soul, and spirit. Isaiah 55:11. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to be empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What God's word is gonna do what God's word says it can do. And let me just tell you this. If God gives you a promise from the word, hold on to it because God says here, I am I'm gonna bring it to pass because I'm capable, I'm sovereign, I'm God. Psalm 119, verse nine through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? And in every generation, that's the question, isn't it? How can I walk free, live free from sin in this fallen body that I have, this fallen life that I live? Well, the answer is the question, by keeping it according to your word. Excellent, thank you, David. Could you dig a little deeper and give me some, some more handles on what that means? He says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not, do not let me stray from your commands. So you've got prayer on the one hand, and watch this. I've hidden your word in my heart, so you have the Bible on the other, so I may not sin against thee. Notice that I, prayer, prayer is important. Don't send me emails. Don't give my email address. Don't send me emails about, I can't believe you disparage prayer. I love prayer. I pray constantly. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just looking at the text, and it says prayer won't keep you from sin. It'll bring you in context with God, but it won't keep you from sin. He said, he said I've, I seek you with all my heart, but, but please don't let me wander. On the other hand, it says thy word I've hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. You build the word of God. I mean, I'll talk in a few minutes about how to do this. But you build the word of God into your heart. It's like brick walls, impenetrable walls in your defense against sin in your own life. Here's one in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Greek word there is theonustos, and it literally means, in some translations, they translate it inspired, but it literally means God breathed. In other words, the breath of God Himself. In fact, the name Pneuma, which is the name for Spirit, is right in that word, Seonustos. God's Spirit is really what that means. God breathed His Spirit to create the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? So it's living, it's living, it's active, it works inside of you once it gets in there, it's eternal, and it's breathed out by God. What else do you possess that can say that? Breathed out by God. So that means all of it, not just some of it, not just the parts we like, not just the parts that fit into our culture, not just the parts that our culture would approve of, but all of it is theonoustos, breathed by God. First Corinthians chapter four, verse six, Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit brothers, so that you may learn not to go beyond what is written. Not to go beyond what is written, so that none of you may be puffed up in favor uh, one against another. Lots of people like to make the word of God say what they want it to say, instead of just saying what it says. Honestly, that's where we end up with some weird stuff. You know, there is some weird stuff out there that masquerades in the name of Christianity, right? It's embarrassing, and it it leads people away from the kingdom, not to the kingdom. Just say what God said, and don't have to go... You don't have to go beyond what is written because what he said is true. The word of God's always been under attack. Right from the very beginning when God met with Adam and Eve and said, gave him that one commandment and Adam gave it to Eve and she went out and disobeyed it. But Satan came and said, did God really say? Let me tell you the backstory to that. One day an angel came to Adam and the angel said, Adam, I've got some great news. God's gonna create something for you that's really, really wonderful. And Adam said, what is it? And the angel said, it's not an it, it's a person, it's a she, it's called woman. And Adam said, go on. And the angel continued, this is gonna be wonderful. This woman's gonna be a lot like you physically, but just a whole lot more beautiful. And she will serve you at all times. When you're tired, she'll give you a massage. When you're hungry, she'll feed you. She'll come and bow down at you in the morning, and when you return each day from the garden, She will live to serve your every pleasure every single day. In addition, the angel continued, she will never argue with you or complain. She won't nag you or talk back to you. For every command you give her, she'll simply say, yes, master. She'll clean your house. She'll tend tend to your every desire. And Adam had a sparkle in his eye when he heard this, and he was so full of excitement. He said, this sounds amazing, but it seems expensive. What's it gonna cost me? And the angel said, well, Adam, it's gonna cost you an arm and a leg. So Adam thought about it for a moment and said, what will you give me for a rib? Jimmy made me put that. He said, there's a joke I'm dying to tell, but if I do, I'm gonna get in trouble with all the women. And I wanna see how it lands, so I need you to give it. And I said, no, no, I, I can't, I, I would never say such a horrible, mean, misogynistic thing in church. And, He said, then you're just going to have to get in your car and drive home. So the only way he let me preach is if I, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So some people say, why read the Old Testament? Else people are all dead and gone. The New Testament's kind of like our thing. But but here's what he says. What was written in former days was written for our instruction. Why? So that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So not just the new, but also the old. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Some people like to use the Bible as a weapon. Have you ever seen those people? Like a club. They figure the more they beat people with it, the closer they'll come to God. They're mean and they're self-righteous about it. And basically, arguing does not bring people closer. Arguing drives people farther away. 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 19 it says we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a light shining as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing that first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy that was that was ever produced by the was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried on by the holy spirit So where did the Bible come from? God inspired Theonoustos. God inspired, God breathed on 40 authors from different eras and different localities to write 66 books over thousands of years which which, which comprised the Bible. In doing so, he did not violate their personalities. He used their style, their strengths, their weaknesses to write the divine revelation without error or contradiction. And that comes straight out of the theology book. Proverbs chapter 30, verse five and six. Every word of God proves true and he's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. The Bible is true and not just in all the parts of it but in every word of it because God cannot lie. Deuteronomy chapter four, We'll, we'll end here and then I'll talk about how to get the word inside you. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse two. You shall not add to the word that I command you nor take from it that you may keep the commands that the Lord your God is commanding you this day. It's almost like, this is Deuteronomy. This is Moses. We're going, I mean, that's really, really old. But it's almost like the Holy Spirit through Moses was anticipating the days that we're living in. Days when people wanna change the word of God to fit their lifestyle, instead of making their lifestyle fit the word. It's amazing how many people talk take this approach to the Bible, was so clearly spelled out, and they say, well, maybe it doesn't mean that. So how do I get the Word of God in me? And some of these things are gonna be so simple, but I challenge you, I challenge you, just because they're simple doesn't mean they aren't powerful. Number one, read it. Have you ever read through the Bible in a year? That ah, sounds intimidating. It's, you can do it. In fact, you can go to the Grace Church Life, excuse me, Grace Life app, And you can download that or you can just every day open up to the app and you can read it right out of there. You say, well, Michael, it's not January 1st. Well, start now and read it to the end of the year and start back up in January and you'll be done in a year. You actually can do it. I promise you, you can do it. But as you're doing it, don't just rush through from Genesis to Revelation. But read it with your heart. So the second thing is, let it read you. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. Would you, would you be willing, don't say anything out loud, but would you be willing to admit that there are parts of your heart that are like a rock, that you've got stubbornness or you've got sin patterns and stuff that just won't break in you? and people have talked to you about it, your spouse has talked to you about it, your parents have talked to you about it, maybe you get pushed back at work, and there's just parts of you that need to change, but you're helpless to do it. Of course you are, because you're not the Word of God. You can't heal your mind, your spirit, and your soul. You can't do that, but it can. So if you'll just let it read you. Have you ever been reading the Scripture, and something just jumps off the page and nails you like a sword in the heart? That's the time when you slow down and stop and go to prayer and say, Lord, what are you after? And confess in humility so you can humble yourself before God like you can't before anybody else. Especially when the word, it's almost like God is in the room and like he took the scripture off the page and he fashioned it into a sword and he poked you right in the heart and you went, ouch, that's me. The presence of God is there. It's a great time to say, Lord, help me, change me. What I need to do with this, maybe you should memorize it. Point number three. Yeah, I'm old school. I remember back in the day, you know, every shirt had a pocket. What did they do with my pocket? When every shirt had a pocket and you write on a three by five card and you, and you memorize it. Today I have my journal and one of those verses jumps off the page and I, I keep on reading. You know what I'm talking about. I keep on reading a little bit, but my heart is drawn back to it. And nothing I read after it seems to, be, seems to matter. It won't get inside my head. But yet I keep going back to that one. Ver- you know what I'm talking about? I habitually I write that verse down because I'm thinking, Lord, there's something in this you're trying to say to me that I can't hear here, that I could only hear here. And I need to kind of let that ruminate a little bit. I need to meditate on it, which is the next thing. Read it, let it read you, memorize it. Why? So you can meditate on it. Now, this is gross. And you know when a preacher starts off by saying it's gross, it's got to really be gross. The best, the best analogy I can think of from meditating on the scripture is to, uh, the good word is to ruminate over it. But a better word is, it's a phrase, to, ch- to chew the cud. You know, like a sheep or a cow, they eat the grass and they chew it, like sometimes your teenage son does. And then they swallow it, and then they regurgitate it, kinda gross and they chew it again, they swallow it, and they regurgitate it. What's going on there? They're trying to get every bit of the, it's made by God to do that. They're trying to get every bit of the nutrients out of it. So when you meditate on something, you just kind of ruminate on it. You think of, you you pray about it, you think it through, you let it kind of roll around in your head. You let it slowly roll around inside your heart. And then all of a sudden, subtle nuances about the meaning of the Scripture begins to jump out at you, and applications begins to jump out at you. And, and God's trying to help you become successful. And whatever it is that the Scripture is about, is it about your marriage? Is it about your family? Is it about your jobs? Is about your money? Does God really wants me to be successful? Yes, Mac, in, in fact, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Watch this. For then he'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Talk it. Speak it. Sing it. Now if you're like me, you don't have to sing it. I mean, I don't sing well. In fact, I sing poorly. I wonder why God, when I get to heaven, God's gonna say to me, shh, Michael, don't do that. Just lip sync. Just, just, Fake it because I don't sing well. But so you're never going to walk by my study or where I'm having devotions and hear me singing um, unless I'm trying to clear a room. I can clear a room by singing faster than you can by yelling fire. That's how bad it is. But in Romans chapter 8 verse 10 it says the word is near you. It's in your mouth. There's something about the mouth and the heart that go together. Sometimes you have to say it out loud. Sometimes you need to read it out loud. Sometimes you need to whisper it to yourself. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming. And then pray it. You know, God loves you to pray. God wants to hear your voice in prayer. But you know what especially delights him? When you pray his word back to him. Lord, in such and such, such and such, chapter this, verse this, you say, Lord, could you make that real in me? You say that a man's supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church. I'm so far short of Teach me your ways that I may know you. Just combine the Old Testament and New Testament scripture right there. Teach me your ways that I may know you. Show me. Help me to walk in your path. Lord, how can a young man keep his way? I'm not young, but how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? Build this into my life. Your word says. God loves to hear that. Pray it and then receive it. Receive it by faith. Everything we... Everything we receive from God comes through the avenue of faith. So in James chapter 1, verse 21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, just put aside all the junk that's in our lives. In humility, watch this. Receive the implanted word. Another translation says engrafted word. How did it get engrafted? Because you it, medit- you read it, you let it read you. You memorized it. You meditated on it. You buried it in your heart. You ruminated, ruminated on it. And it, it it's eternal, so it lasts forever. It's living and active, so you gave it space. It's engrafted into you. It's implanted into you. What will it do? Which will be able to save your souls. And that does not mean he's writing to believers, so he's not talking about people getting born again. The word there could be could be exchanged for the word deliver. He's able to deliver your, your soul. In other words, you can change from the inside out. The greatest the greatest agent of change is right here, combined with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And yet we stick it on the shelf. And read it only sometimes when the pastor reads it in church. Don't, don't stand over it and leave it on your shelf like it's John Grisham. Put it over you. Let it be your highest authority. The famous philosopher Voltaire. Said that within a hundred years, within hundred years, the Bible will be obsolete, obsolete, and Christianity will no longer exist. After his death in 1778, his home was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society to turn into a printing press. Second Chronicles, two verses. I'm done. Second Chronicles 16:9. I love this, and I love this for you. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to them. What does that mean? God's looking for people. This blows my mind, baffles me actually. God is looking for people to show himself strong to and through. And I'm saying, why you gotta look for people? show yourself strong in me and through me in my life my family my marriage my job how does he do it though how does he show himself strong jeremiah 1:12. i'm watching over my word listen now, last verse we'll pray i'm watching over my word to perform it which means he wants to perform his word in you here's the question How much of his word have you put inside yourself for him to perform? Maybe we might want to upgrade that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful, that it's true, that it's living, it's active, just leaving us here, but you left us with guidance, wisdom, instruction. You breathed it. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will never pass away. So Lord, we open our hearts to you. If we've neglected your word, we repent. In our hearts, Lord, we, we lean into you. Say, Father, give me grace to daily be in this book, but more importantly, daily put this book in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your head down for just a moment, if you will. Perhaps you're here today, and before you came, maybe when you came, or maybe during the service, at some point you realized you weren't right with God. wondering what do I need to do I need to work harder I need to be better that's the wrong answer the right answer is you need to surrender because it's sin that separates us from God as we took communion you heard the solution Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sin to make us right with God so that's you and you've you know you're not right with God or maybe you used to walk with God but you wandered and you realize it's time to come back maybe this whole COVID thing has brought that to light showed you your own human frailty you know you need something more so you've come here to find it it's not an it it's a him so not out loud but in your heart would you if you're coming back to God you're coming to him for the first time just pray with me say in your heart not out loud say Jesus I believe you died on that cross for me I ask you to come into my life, forgive me, and cleanse me from all my sin, and make me right with God. This moment forward, I want to follow you forever. In Jesus' name.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church slash resources, where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.